I got a couple of texts over the last day. Are we going to have um, NCS Thursday morning because of the ice and snow or whatever? And I said, you know what? I'm not the guy to ask. I grew up in New Jersey. You know, five inches of snow, what's the problem? You know, you'd wake up at five in the morning and you'd hear the uh, chains on the snow plow and they would clear the roads and you'd go to school. And I, got, I read a story this morning by a friend of mine, Ron Hutchcraft, and he said that when he was living in Wayne, New Jersey, he was asked to come and speak out in the Poconos. Well, it started to snow. And when it got to be at three or four inches, he was waiting for the tech, the, the phone call. Um, we canceled, no phone call. So he got on Route 80 and started going west over to the Poconos. The snow got heavier and heavier. And when there's a lot of snow on the road, even on an interstate, the problem is you can't see the lines. So you don't know if you're gonna run off the road. I've done it. Um, but then all of a sudden, Ron noticed that the road was getting a little clearer, and he saw some lights up ahead. And as he got up there, it was a snowplow. And he just had to stay behind the snowplow, it would clear the roads, and the lights would show him where to go. And he said, you know, my whole life, I've been following somebody who's clearing the road, and I can follow the lights to see where to go. And that's Jesus Christ. And he said, even in tough times, the toughest time Ron had was when his wife of nearly 50 years, Karen, died. He said, even then, I could see ahead, Jesus was clearing the road and following the lights, and I knew where to go. And you know what? I can say that's happened in my life. And I think, every once in a while I think, why am I so blessed? It's because I'm following Jesus, and he's clearing the road, and I can see where to go. Quite a number of years ago, a very important person in my life was Bernice Arnold. Bernice Arnold was a legendary food editor of the Tennessean and later of the um, Banner. And I published cookbooks, so I wanted Bernice to say nice things about my books. And she did, usually. We have the privilege this morning of having one of Bernice's children. I bet you didn't expect this introduction. <laughs> uh, Chip Arnold. Chip was with us last spring and had us, let us experience um, the Sermon on the Mount. This is a little more serious, I think. Today, Chip is going to let us experience Matthew 23, 24, and 25. The religious leaders and teachers of the law have set themselves up in the chair of Moses. So everything they tell you to do, you do it. But don't do like they do. Because they don't practice what they preach. No, they tie up these heavy loads of rules and regulations and they dump them on your shoulders like a pack mule and say, good luck with that. They won't lift so much as a finger to help you bear that burden. Everything they do is for show. You know, they love putting on the religious clothes and putting on the holy hardware and the, getting the best seats in the house and sitting in the prominent positions in the sanctuaries. And when you see them on the street, they want you to say, Rabbi, teacher, reverend, master. Well, don't call anyone the master. You are all brothers. 
don't call anyone on the earth father. You have one father in heaven. And don't call teacher. You have one teacher, the Christ. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then become a servant. Because whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But whoever exalts himself will be humbled. <laughs> but woe to you, religious leaders, teachers of scriptures, because you slam the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And you aren't going in, but you try to keep those who want to go in out. Woe to you. Religious leaders, teachers of the law, because you travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when you make him, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. <laughs> Woe to you, religious leaders, theologians. Because here's what you do. You say, <clears throat> if you swear by the temple then you don't have to keep your promise. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, then you have to keep your promise. You are hypocrites, blind guides. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And then you say, if you swear by the altar, you don't have to keep your promise. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, then you have to keep your promise. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So if you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and everything on it. If you swear by the temple, you swear by it and the one who dwells in it. And if you swear by heaven, you are swearing by God's throne and him who dwells on it. Oh, woe to you, teachers of the law, theologians of scripture. <laughs> you are so obsessed with tithing down to the last nickel and dime, and yet you're not willing to pay any attention to what's most important in the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Yes, of course, tithe, but not to the exclusion of what is most important. You, <laughs> you will strain out the gnat, but boy, you will swallow that camel. Woe to you, religious leaders, teachers of the law, because you really want to shine up how you look on the outside. You know, you're like polishing your bowl and your cup to a real high sheen. And yet inside the bowling cup, it's full of greed and self-indulgence. First, clean out the inside of the bowling cup so that the outside will be truly clean. Woe to you, religious leaders, teachers of the law. You, you know, you're like whitewashed tombs, which, oh, outwardly, they are beautiful. But inside, it's full of dead men's bones and rotten flesh. You're just like that. On the outside, you appear righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, religious leaders, theologians, teachers of the scriptures. You are hypocrites because you build these great monuments 
to the prophets of old. And then you say, oh, if we lived back then, we never would have shed the blood of the prophets. <laughs> You're just nothing but hypocrites. You know, you are the ancestors, the descendants of those ancestors. In fact, you know, you've got blood on your hands because you have done what they've done and even worse. You know, basically, you're just a pit of snakes. You're a brood of vipers. You think you can get away with this? Listen to me. I'm going to send you prophets and wise men, and some you will kill, and others you'll crucify, and you will abuse them and persecute them from city to city, so that upon you will fall all the guilt of the righteous blood that has been shed upon the earth, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered in the temple. All of this will fall upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You who have killed the prophets and stoned those who have been sent to you, how I have longed to take your people into my arms like a mother hen takes her chicks beneath her wings and you have rejected me. Now your house has become desolate, a haunt for ghosts. And you will not see me again until you cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but do not be afraid. These things must take place. It is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and famines in various places, but this is just the beginning of birth pains. And then they will throw you to the wolves and crucify you and persecute you. And you will be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, people will fall away from the faith and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because of the increase of wickedness and lawlessness, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then the gospel of the kingdom of heaven will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end shall come. So when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, the one the prophet Daniel writes about, please understand this. If you are in Judea, head for the hills. 
If you're on your house, don't bother to go down inside. If you are at work, don't bother to come home. It's really going to be difficult for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath or during the winter because a time is coming of great tribulation, the likes of which has never been seen upon the earth from the beginning until now and on into the future. If those days were not cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days have been cut short. So if they come to you and say, the Christ is here, don't believe it. No, the Christ is over there. Don't believe it because many false prophets and false Christs will arise and be able to dazzle you with signs and wonders. If it were possible, even could deceive the elect. So I'm telling you about it ahead of time. So if you hear someone say, the Christ is in the country, don't go out there. No, the Christ is downtown. Don't believe it. Here is the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. It will be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. Everyone will see it. It will not be like a wake of vultures circling around a single corpse. So immediately following the days of that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will lose its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken when the sign of the Son of Man appears in the sky. And all the nations will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in his power and glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great blast of the trumpet to the four winds to gather together his elect from one end of the sky to the other. So learn a lesson from the fig tree. When the branches become tender and it begins to bud, you know that summer is near. When you see these things happening, know that he is near, right at the door. I tell you this, the generation that sees these things happening will not pass away until it is all accomplished. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Not as for the day and the hour, <laughs> no one knows, not the angels in heaven, not the Son, but the Father alone. But I will tell you this. It will be just like in the days of Noah, before the flood. Everybody was going about their normal day, normal routines, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, right up to the very day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand what was happening until the flood came and whoosh, swept them all away. It will be just like that. Two people will be at work, one will be taken, the other left. Two people will be in bed, one will be taken, the other left. So, be ready. You do not know the day in which your Lord is coming. <laughs> I tell you this, if the homeowner knew what time of night the thief was coming to break into his house, he'd be ready and wouldn't let that happen. So you too 
be ready. You do not, that your Lord is coming at an hour when you least expect him. So who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master puts in charge of his household, his fellow servants to make sure that they're fed at the proper time? Well, <laughs> blessed is that servant whom his master finds doing his job when he comes home. The master will put him in charge of all his possessions. But what if that servant says, ah, my master's gone for a long time, and begins to abuse his fellow servants and, and, and eat and drink with drunkards? Well, his master will come home on a day that he does not expect and at an hour that he least expects him and turn him into mincemeat and cast him into the outer darkness with the other hypocrites where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's a story. <clears throat> I will compare the kingdom of heaven to ten virgins who took their oil lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise, five were foolish. The wise virgins took extra oil with their lamps. The foolish ones did not. Well, the bridegroom was delayed in coming, and so they got drowsy, and they all fell asleep. And about midnight, the cry came, Wake up! The bridegroom is coming! Come out to meet him! Well, they got up and saw their lamps were going out, and the foolish virgin said, Please, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. And the wise one said, We don't have enough for you and us. Go to the market. Buy your own oil. And so they left. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. And everyone who was there and ready went into the banquet hall and closed the door. Eventually, the foolish virgins returned and knocked on the door. And the king cried out, I don't know who you are. I'm sorry. You can't come in. Be ready. Your Lord is coming at an hour and a time that you do not expect. The kingdom of heaven is also like a king who was going on a long journey and he put, gathered his servants together to divide up his possessions so that they could take care of them while he was away. To the first servant, he gave five talents. To the second one, two talents. The third one, one talent. And then he left on his journey. Well, the first servant took his five talents, invested it, and made five more. Same with the second servant. He took his two talents, invested them, and made two more. But the third servant, he went out and dug a hole in the ground and buried his talent. Well, after a long time, the king returned, gathered his servants together, and settled the accounts. The first servant came and said, my lord, you gave me five talents, I invested them, and see, you have five more. And the king said, well done, good and faithful servant. I put you in charge over a few things, now I'm going to put you in charge over many things. Come, enter into the joy of your master. <laughs> well, the second servant, he came, and he said, my lord, you gave me two talents, I invested them, and now I have given you two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
I put you in charge over a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge over many things. Welcome into the joy of your master. <laughs> and then the third servant came to the little king and said, My lord, I know you have high standards, that you demand the best, you do not suffer fools. And so I was afraid, and I went out and buried my talent. See, here, you have what is yours, down to the last cent. Well, the king was furious. He said, you are a wicked and lazy slave. Since you knew I have high standards and demand the best and do not suffer fools, then the very least you could have done was taken it to the bank and let me collect interest from it while, when I got back. I'll take this talent away from this servant. Give it to the one who has ten talents, because the one who has, he will be given more. And the one who has nothing, even what he does have, will be taken from him. Now, cast this servant into the outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit down on his glorious throne and he will gather all the nations before him and he will separate the people one from another just like a shepherd separates the goats from the sheep. And the goats will go to his left and the sheep to his right. And then the king will address those on his right and say, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you accepted me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And those on his right will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, <laughs> naked and clothe you, a stranger and accept you, sick and care for you, in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then those on his left, he will turn to them and say, depart from me to a place of punishment prepared for the devil and his angels because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was a stranger and you rejected me. I was sick. You didn't care for me. I was in prison. You never visited me. And those on his left will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty and naked and a stranger, uh, sick and in prison and not care for you? And the king will say to them, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. 
And those on his left will go into eternal punishment. But those on his right, the righteous, into eternal life. I find Matthew 23, 24, and 25 not easy to listen to sometimes. And I don't need an exposition. I've read many expositions. If you have any questions for Chip, we can ask. But I want to ask, you've immersed yourself in Matthew 23, 24, and 25 probably more than anybody I know. How has that impacted you? I guess it's um, first thing that comes to my mind are the prophet um, Jeremiah and then the apostle John were asked to eat the words of the Lord and it was bitter to his, it was, the, the, the taste was sweet as honey, but then it became bitter. Those are the images that come to my mind that in, in all of God's words, um, when you, you know, they're, they're written on your heart. And what, isn't that Deuteronomy or something? I will write them on my heart on the, or maybe it's, I, it's in there. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure where, but it's in there. And uh, write the words, my, his words, on our hearts. And uh, not on, you know, and our hearts will be broken, not like the stone tablets. And because he wants our heart connection. He wants the heart connection. I guess I'm seeing, I think I wrote you this. Um, I know I wrote you this. Um, the kingdom of heaven is really the focal point of this whole arc of these three chapters. The kingdom of heaven, it's what it's not in chapter 23. It's not rules and regulations that are to burden you down and keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven in chapter 24 is like the one that endures, will always endure. My words will never pass away. Everything else will go away, but not my, not what I say. And then here's what the kingdom of heaven is in relationship and taking care of each other and the stranger. And this is because when we do that, we know, we've heard enough sermons, we're doing it to Jesus, for Jesus, with Jesus, and because of. So. Does anybody else want to ask Chip anything? Denny. So you're asking me to expose my imagination is what you're doing. <laughs> I was naked and you clothed me. Okay. Well, 
You have to remember the context because just a couple of chapters before this, he's, he's had the triumphal entry and he's cleansed the temple and actually brought in, it says, uh, he, he gets rid of the money changers and he brings in the, the lame, the blind, all the, all the people that weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I think what he's, and then right after that, then the, uh, the, the Pharisees, the, the um, Sadducees, the Herodians, the lawyers, they all kind of, who would never speak to each other and, and, and have anything to do with each other, uh, were it not for Jesus, they all get together because they have one common enemy, and that's Jesus. So they're all, you know, saying, how can we get him? How can we, you know, um, you know turn the people against him? And so he's taking a barrage of criticism from these people and questions. But yet, the people that are kept out of the temple or the kingdom are just on the other side of these groups of people who are, you know, coming after him. And I, I kind of, I, in my imagination, <laughs> he's going, I just got to get these, these religious leaders out of the way so that I can really talk to the people and live, uh, uh, um, uh, share my life with the people who really want to be connected to me. And, and yes, he'll take the questions from the religious leaders, but it's just, you know, finally, I think, in a way, he's had enough, but at the same time, he, loved, he weeps over Jerusalem. He's weeping over Jerusalem. You realize that that last verses of, of chapter 23, he's crying because of, not because he just got rejected. He's crying because he wants to embrace everyone under his wing like that mother hen image. So, to me, that's the real crux of the matter. You know, he might be... Um, pointing out the hypocrisy in us all. It's not just, you know, the preachers and the theologians and the doctors and the reverends. It's all of us. He's going right for the heart, and we're all there. <laughs> whether, we have, whether we're degreed or not, we're all there because we all know the condition of our hearts. <clears throat> As I listened to you, as I listened to you, I kept thinking, I'd like to hear this again. <laughs> and thanks to Matt and Ricky, you can. In another week or so, it'll be on YouTube and on our podcast, and we can hear it again. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Have a great week, brothers.